3: To get started visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss.
0: This is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on Apple Podcasts.
4: Dumpty,
5: <laughs> Hello, this is Dumpty Dum, a podcast about the archers and the goings-on of Ambridge. I'm Jacqueline Berthold, who is sporting a yellow rara skirt and tossing her fire a locks.
6: And I'm Stephen Bowden, who's done a lot of business in the black country over the years and could put out some feelers.
5: <laughs> and then there's you, our lovely Dumpty Dummers, who are crowded into the ploughmans with your bags of crisps. Welcome to Dumpty Dum a show about our favourite country village. This week's episodes of The Archers were written by Liz John and have been rather more dramatic than we were expecting, especially after last week. Coming up, we have calls from... Stephanie, a novelist and first-time caller in with a
6: cracking plot prediction.
5: Claire, who was shocked by the arrival of you-know-who.
6: Michelle, who's looking forward to lots of black country-based action as we follow up what happened to Kenton. Susan, who has thoughts on Long
5: Covid. Catherine, who's glad to see the back of the Longest Drinker storyline. Hooray. Nick, who knows what's really going on in Ambridge.
6: Witherspoon, who thinks that Jolene has been ill-advised and who has some advice of his own for Mia.
5: And finally, Brian, who was impressed by one of the cast. We also have a WhatsApp message from Mike Jennings, emails from Vicky Cole and Chris in Indiana, and a plot prediction from Glennis Goodwill. Plus, we have the week in Ambridge from Suey, a roundup of the Dumpty Dum Facebook group from someone or other, and the sweets of the week from CM. But before we start talking far too much, let's remind ourselves of what happened over the last seven days in Ambridge with a roundup of the week from Suey.
7: Hello, lovely people. It's Suey, Queen or Tart here. On Twitters, yeah, blue sky, all that. It's time for a quick reminder of the week in Ambridge, and this is going to go up to Thursday night, as from Friday, I'll be being a rebel leader in a game. Well, the ball has been front and centre this week, whether it would be who would be the main senior model in the fashion show, how it was all going to work, would Brad wear his green suit? And indeed, would it run at all, given the lack of electricity? They managed to get some power on through Lillian, um, persuading someone. And then they ran an evening service, attended by some very polite incomers who gave huge tips. That would have been enough to consider them dodgy, but added to that, Julaine was trying to avoid them. The following night, a group who may or may not have been that group were in the pub car park with the CCTV turned off and most likely having a vicious, dangerous dogs fight. Kenton went out to see them off and was mauled by a dog. David did his little brother act, steering Jolene into getting some rest and then Shula, who just can't stay away, came to see him in the hospital. Hurrah! The fashion show, yada yada, it rumbled on. Who knows who will be modelling what? We know Brad has point-blank refused to do any modelling, but is selling his green suit. Lillian has some lovely clothes which she can't wear anymore because of Jenny, darling. Back to the hospital, and Vince and Jolene went for a drink leaving PTSD Kenton, and Jolene admitted they had been at a gig she did and had been removed, which was followed by a suspicious arson attack. All the work being done by the electrician is probably going to be destroyed. Vince has come to the rescue, and he's going to make some inquiries. I wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of that. Oh, and the longest drinker was Neville, if anyone cared, which they didn't. I hope Friday night brings us some answers instead of more questions. Until then, my lovelies, I hope it's a good one.
5: Thank you for that, Suey. Brilliantly rounded up to Thursday. I don't think Friday brought us many more answers, but let's talk about us for a minute. Let's <laughs> indulge ourselves. <laughs> How was your week, Stephen?
6: It was a quiet week. I finally got the replacement dishwasher for my kitchen, which is the one <laughs> remaining thing that was wrong with the kitchen. The dishwasher failed on its first run, so the new one is finally in. And then my other domestic worry is the fact that there has been a, a leak from some sort of drains into the flat causing problems with my bedroom floor and the ensuite bathroom. And I finally had an insurance adjuster from the management company for the building and some people from a drains company, and they are all terribly sympathetic. They all say it's quite clear that it's not my issue. All the damage will be paid for, but they still haven't been able to get authorization to rip out some stuff from the outside of the building to get at the problem. So it hasn't been fixed yet. But everybody now knows that it needs to be fixed urgently and they know roughly where to look. So that's all good stuff on, on the house front. And that's with good. any luck, I'll have a new bedroom floor by the end of this month and a new ensuite bathroom, but that's not due until April. Now, How you about know, you?
5: That it, well, I was just thinking all your woes with your house and problems. Like you said the end of the month. Now, if you were in Ambridge, it would be fixed in three days.
6: Yes, because Lillian would have somebody who just happened to be around with spare time.
5: Okay. Do it. Now I've got some friends who live here who've had a problem with their boiler since October, and it's finally given up the ghost. And we tried to get somebody, and as the crossover English-French speaker, it was me that was dealing with both them and the company and trying to get people to come out, let alone fix it within three days. So a full rewiring did not take place on their boiler. And yeah, so it was, a, it was a stress-filled week for them, but a crepe-filled week for me, because of course, as we said last week, you have uh, the English equivalent of candle mass here. Everywhere you go, you're offered crepes. So I had crepes yesterday afternoon, uh, yesterday evening, and uh, we're going for, for crepes this evening as well, so I'm rather crepe-filled. Last night at home, we had savoury crepes and then Lower Keller sweet one. I didn't go for the sweet one watching the rugby so there we go that was that was a nightfall
6: yes so we don't talk about sports on dumpty dum because we're here to talk about the archers
5: indeed indeed so shall we start those calls
6: hello cat. first up i think we have a first time caller inera in the shape of
1: stephanie Hello, Dumpty Dum, it's Stephanie here. I'm a novelist and I'm ringing in with a long-term plot prediction about the Grundies. So, any long form work of fiction has rules of the world. You see this most obviously in science fiction where you can fly or you can't fly. If you go back in time, you can't do anything that will change the world, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Obviously, the artist is not fiction, but let's imagine that it is. Then one of the rules of the world would be Grundies don't do well. On balance, things are more bad than good. You see very clearly with Will, who had that brief period of happiness when he was married to Nick and they had baby Poppy and he had a great job. And then, but now it's all gone wrong. He's a widower. He's living in the cottage with George, which is horrific punishment for anybody and he's basically an odd job man, that, that is his Grundy fate. Ed at the moment is feeling the Grundy curse, but also really, really, really trying to outrun his fate. So my prediction is that he'll do that for a while, that he will get the money from somewhere, maybe Oliver, and he will qualify as a tree surgeon and he'll be really good at it. He'll be really passionate. He'll bring all of that kind of frustrated ambition that he has. And Emma will support him really well. We'll see like the strength of their partnership. In maybe five years' time, they'll buy somewhere. They'll, they'll, they'll have a good enough credit history to have a mortgage. They'll get a mortgage. They'll buy their own place. They'll be so happy for like 15 minutes. And then they'll go out into the garden, which is overhung with trees. And they will decide to just quickly sort out the garden. And then they'll go inside and have a drink. And Somebody will take somebody out with a chainsaw. Not on purpose. It'll be a horrible, horrible, horrible accident. But either Edge will accidentally kill himself or more likely, I think he will accidentally kill Emma and be consumed with guilt for the rest of his days. That is my long-term plot prediction. You're welcome. Bye.
6: Well, that went dark, didn't it? (laughs) What?
1: What?
6: Thank you so much for that call, Stephanie. I do hope it's the first of very many. It was an excellent call. Yeah, I, I agree with you that it is pretty much the role of the Grundies to be miserable. And I know a lot of people keep saying, well, why can't the Grundies have a good break? Why is it always that? I remember Neil Kinnock referring to the archers as, as really should be retitled the Grundies and their oppressors. And I agree with you, actually, that it wouldn't be the archers if the Grundies weren't. Oppressed, long suffering, always failing, because that is their role in the village. That's their role in the storyline. And others, it seems, can rise up from their their lowly fates. The Horbins used to be so bad that they made the Grundys look good. Uh, and then we now have, instead of being an undifferentiated mass of Horbins, we now have Tracy and Brad and Chelsea, and everybody loves them. So it, it's possible, but not possible for the Grundys. Whether it'll be quite as dark as that, though, I don't know. I think normally the people who die off are the ones around the actual Grundys. So so Nick with her sepsis. Obviously, Jethro, uh, Clary's father, came to an unfortunate end, uh, as did his own uncle, shot by Tom Forrest a long time ago. But I don't think that the core Grundy family don't actually meet sticky ends. So uh, yeah. I suppose you could argue that Emma isn't actually was born at she wasn't born a grand so maybe right. she could
5: oh, I agree well, I think it's a wonderful Plot prediction And can just see us If we're still sitting here Every Saturday morning Making Dumpty Dum We'll say Chainsaw Massacre as the title Thank you for that Stephanie We believe you're A first time caller in We don't We're not sure Because neither of us Have been doing this For ten years Uh, But welcome and thank you very much for your call. Absolutely fascinating and lots of food for thought. I love that, the idea that there are rules for everything. I'm a great fan of golden age fiction and there are definite rules there. Why shouldn't it be across other genres as well? So good. Good call. Thank you. Next up, we have Claire from Clapham.
8: Hi, Dumpty Dum. It's Claire from Clapham here. So it's Thursday evening and I was just out in the car listening to the archers on my way out. And here's an example of what was going on in my car. Schuler,
4: Schuler, Schuler, Schuler. Vince and um, a hey, poor
8: Kenton. He suffered a lot, and then Schuler shows up, and and to make him feel better, he's asked her to tell her about Sunderland. What? And why would Vince go and pick her up? This doesn't make any sense at all. Anyway, I'm glad we've got behind some of the mystery about what Jolene thought was going on at the ball, but yeah, it's all very peculiar, isn't it? And I'm just thinking. You know, of all the people that could show up, I don't think I'd want you to mind you, they're twins, aren't they? So who knows? I do hope people will rally round. I think Kenton's a fairly decent sort, and he's at the hub of the village and the pub and everything. So he ought to get a bit of a bit of community support. I wondered that today, actually, as I was driving, whether or not maybe he'd lose a leg or half a leg or something, and then we'd finally get a, another disability storyline in the Archers. How could they, could they adapt their? Upstairs flat, if he uh, lost some mobility, for example, that would be an interesting one. Would he get a prosthetic? Like, I have no idea what the situation is for him, but and I'm not wishing him to lose a leg or anything. I'm just saying it would be interesting, wouldn't it? Anyway, keep up the good work. I'll speak to you soon.
5: Bye. Thank you for that, Claire. Gracious, we're in a dark week, Stephen. Yes, Kenton loses a leg in Claire's prediction. Yeah. Shula was a bit of a surprise because we were all told she'd left. Judy Bennett, the uh, actress, was definitely going out and retiring and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, she obviously keeps popping back, which is quite logical in terms of real life. We think of Ambridge as real life. So, yeah, her turning up with Vince was slightly strange, but I suppose if nobody in the family could go and collect her from the station and Vince happened to volunteer to help Lizzie out as a driver, but then why was he allowed into the hospital with a seriously ill man? I thought the whole conversation by the bedside was hilarious because Kenton was stressed by them over talking the actual event, which is something even I don't think in real life you would do in front of the person who's obviously badly injured in front of you. And then Vince became very insightful about uh, Jolene and I thought that was a slightly weird episode because these are people that we've never seen interact before really. And um, But it was a bit of light relief and amusement to think about after such a dark ending to Tuesday night's episode. It was shocking. The t- whole Tuesday night thing was totally out of the blue and totally shocking. We never have things like that on a Tuesday night. As Stephanie said, there are rules to these things.
6: Yes, we have actually seen Vince and Jolene interact before, and it was the incident when Vince came into the bowl and yelled, "Then,"
5: Oh, yes. And that, that very
6: much put Jolene and Vince at odds with each other. So them suddenly becoming all chummy was yeah. bizarre. But I agree that the fact that Vince was there at all without yeah. Elizabeth was just totally strange. Shula made perfect sense. So she has always had this thing about their twins yeah. and they're very close and so forth. And so her coming up, down and, and seeing Kenton because he's been hospitalised made perfect sense. The surprise was that it was Shula in person and not just talked about because, as you say, we, we yeah. thought that uh, Judy Bennett had stopped doing this, but this is the second time that she has unexpectedly reappeared. But yeah, the Vince thing didn't make any sense at all. That mm. whole conversation seemed just a bit weird. And I think we've got some more comments about... Black um, country. About the black country, uh, but also about the idea of Vince putting out feelers into the black country mafia rather than going to the police. Going to the police. Because bear in mind that Jolene has a daughter who's married to somebody whose day job is, oh, a police officer.
5: Yeah, very surprising, really. There's something about this story that feels like it's been helicoptered in somehow. I don't know why. It just feels like it's not been thought through. Interesting. There's but it's taking, us,
6: it's taking us to the, the good old days of the 1950s and the Mike Daly spy storyline and the mysterious baroness and all that sort of stuff that none of us, I think,
5: can really remember. No, 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 no. And I think we're all too, far too young, Stephen.
6: Now, Claire mentioned the disability issue and could come oh, yeah. his leg. We That's did actually have a, a disability feature at the fashion show. Oh, yes, we did. Because, of course, the elderly male model that replaced kenton after kenton had replaced eddie and there's an interesting question about eddie and mike tucker and i think that various people i don't think we've got any cause on it but no, the mention aren't. of mike tucker everybody say, well if shula can come back why can't mike but anyway burke was in a wheelchair and showing off his fashionable stuff without uh, being wheeled around so yeah
5: well, yeah very good it was uh, but there was always the question of when Mia and Lillian were having a bit of a spat early on in the week, Mia was saying about oh, old people, about old people, decrepit. If they're that decrepit, they won't even be able to get up to the upstairs at the bulls. There's been a whole set of ageist-ish issues this week. So, yeah. yeah uh,
6: but it does suggest that there is some sort of wheelchair access to the bull upstairs.
5: Yeah, which Mia didn't know about at the beginning of the week.
6: I just wonder what it is, because you'd yeah. have thought that we'd know if there was a lift. And it's quite a long way to go up by a ramp. But, yeah, a very long way. Okay, next up, we have a call from Michelle.
3: Hi, Jacqueline, Stephen and fellow Dumpty Dummers. First time ringing in for a while for me. I haven't really felt the urge, to be honest. What can I say? Fashion shows and grandi woes haven't really made me too big a fan of the Archers of late. But this week... I think many of us were knocked sideways by the ending on Tuesday, which had more drama and shock than pretty much all the Fridays combined this year, so far, I reckon. I knew this week was going to be good when I heard the dulcet tones of the black country accent on Monday, plus the intrigue of Joanne's quick departure. I knew it needed to be a blast from her toric past, and boy, it didn't disappoint. I've spent all my adult life in East Anglia, but I'm a wolfronium, black country, yam-yam, Wolverhampton girl born and bred. I get super excited when I meet a fellow West Midlander and how nice to have them beamed into my kitchen on my favourite radio show. Sadly, the black country chap is as dodgy as Jolene suspected and I'm a bit sad we get perhaps a little bit of a depressing portrayal of us normally jovial, friendly Midland folk. Vince hasn't really been the best representative but has shown a bit more of his character of late. Although the fact he knows people in the black country, despite its much-debated boundaries covering a huge population, is beginning to stretch things a bit I fear. We'll see where this one goes. It's good to have some excitement, finally. I'm hoping we follow Vince on his investigation around Wolverhampton. I can see him now, stopping for some orange chips, having a pint of Banksies and a packet of pork scratchings before hopping around our rather lovely art gallery on the hunt for clues. Perhaps he'll make a breakthrough whilst taking in the views of Magical Molyneux and bump into Steve Ball, who he'll form a crime-fighting duo with to investigate the criminals and bring them to justice whilst the friendly, helpful folk help them along. Who needs realism in the archers, right? Thanks for putting up with my little flight of fancy. Keep being Boston and Tarara a bit
6: ta-ra a bit to you, Michelle, and thank you for that brilliant call. Yes, I think following Vince around the black country as he does his investigations would be great fun. It feels like the sort of storyline that we might have had in Ambridge Extra when that was running, yeah. because we had that bizarre thing with Matt and Brenda and Russians and so on. So this would be the sort of side mission from the main plot. It could involve a few characters, take us to different locations and address different ideas. And Orange Chips, I'm not quite sure how they would show up on the radio, but they would certainly be one of the features of the black country. Indeed. Have we had many Black Country people before? I keep thinking that there's a difference between Brummies and, and Black Country folk. And most of the strongly Midland accented characters in The Archers have actually been Brummies. We had Jack and Sid both from Sturchley, Sykesy, definitely a, a Brummy. I think Vince is more Brummies than Black Country. Of course, we had um, Yam Yam York, the school teacher that Eddie took to his wedding reception. Oh,
5: yeah. Uh, he
6: was definitely black country, as in his nickname, Yam Yam.
5: What does that mean, Yam Yam?
6: I think it's just a term used for black country people because it's possibly something they say.
5: It's a bit um, like as Lincolnshire folk being called yellow bellies then. Blow. It's it's something like that.
6: I I think it might be to do with the accent, though. And um, oh, right. the, I'm not an expert on regional linguistics, I'm afraid. <laughs> Fine.
5: But are you an expert on chips? And battered chips.
6: I'm aware of orange chips. Yeah, they're they're a, a thing in in that part of the world. I, I, yeah, I think are. it's supposed to be paprika, but who knows what goes into th- some of them?
5: I think they put. I think they're battered. I think they make a batter, light batter, and they cook the chips in batter in which there is some um, colorant, possibly paprika. But who knows? I'm not an expert either. I went to Wolverhampton once. That was it. But we, of course, I have a, a neighbor here who uh, rings in fairly regularly, Andrea from beautiful central Brittany, and I believe she's from Wolverhampton. So between her and Michelle, we could be uh, completely informed about uh, the underworld of uh, Wolverhampton. We won't need Vince in the end. That means that we should get
6: plenty of commentary on what Vince is doing and whether it's an accurate portrayal of the Wolverhampton mafia.
5: Exactly, I'm looking forward to those calls.
6: Shall we have our next call here? And this one is from Susan. Hello, dum dum
9: I've missed you so, so much. It's Susan Harrison calling from the UK. I'm in my fourth lockdown of long COVID in a very busted, broken up old flat. That gives me all the more time to spend with you listening to the podcasts and catching up. So I hope you're all feeling well and keeping warm and staying safe. I do hope that they do continue the story about Long Covid, although I understand it's upsetting for a lot of people. I think it's very important to continue that. It's not a plot prediction, it's just me saying hello and hoping to catch up with you all very soon because I've missed you so much my darlings. Take care Oh, once again. Dum de dumbbede dum de dumppy dum de dumbbit dum 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 Dee Dum Dum Dee Big love to you all <laughs> Speak soon. Bye.
5: Well, big love to you too, Susan. Thank you for your call. I'm glad that you've managed to get a voice back and can talk to us. Long COVID, it's a thing, isn't it? And a lot of people are really, really struggling with it. And obviously, Susan is one of those people. So we send best healing wishes to anybody that has struggled or is struggling with it. And especially to you, Susan, thank you for making the effort to call us. And thank you for that lovely dumpty-dum singing. You've always still got a, a nice singing voice. Now, long covid in Ambridge, we had... Hazel. Hazel, that's right, Jack Woolley's daughter who had uh, long COVID. Didn't she evict Tom and Natasha from the flat so she could live up the top of the dangerous stairs?
6: She came to the village to do that, but eventually she decided against it and retreated away again. And so Chris has ended up in that flat.
5: All right. And so we haven't had anybody else with long COVID, have we?
6: I think that Roger Travers Macy might be suffering from long COVID, uh, he certainly he had COVID initially, and I think that Debbie at one point mentioned that she was going to see him and that he was suffering from yeah, it, that's but right. he hasn't been a, a speaking character in the village since, well, not for many, many years, and it was only during the monologues that we heard about him and had Debbie talked about him and the fact he had yeah. got COVID. He was the first person mentioned in The arches as having COVID.
5: Um, Adam never ever talks about him The man who adopted him And brought him up as a child That's interesting What about the missing story That we started on last week And then died has died to death we heard nothing from Any of the characters in the story Of Harry, Harry... Yes, Harry's blood tests yes. So I don't think
6: long COVID Is something that shows up in blood tests I think that's part of the problem Is that there isn't so a Very difficult to diagnose Yeah, there, there are no distinctive Diagnostic features of it But yes no, we're still waiting, though I believe he's up next week. So I, I, th- I think that we'll get something mm. more.
5: Interesting, but it is carrying on from the fact that we've now got a GP. Maybe poor pe- more people will be diagnosed with things. We'll hear more of the diagnoses. Uh,
6: Maybe. But, but I, I think there are, there are mixed views among the Dumpty Dum community about medical storylines. And I'm one of the ones who actually thinks this is a, a rural country farming continuing drama it's not a medical drama and i just don't want too many medical stories going on and i certainly don't like the idea that we should be using the archers as some sort of teaching aid to bring out wider awareness of medical issues on a ongoing basis the archers as i said before the archers stopped being educational in 1971 so while it's good to have occasional Message type storylines. I think turning everything into a message, and particularly turning everything into a medical message, would for me take away from the proper things that we should be talking about. The, the unique feature of the arches is that it is in a rural setting, and so yeah, I think we need more farming and less pharmacy.
5: Actually, I completely agree with you. But even veterinary medicine is a bit limit for me as well as far well as information is concerned.
6: Let's get on to our next call. And this one is from a regular caller, runner, Catherine.
5: Hi, it's Catherine. So the only good
9: thing about the vicious dog attack was quite vicious, wasn't it? Is that we finally got rid of the most tedious thing ever, the most boring storyline ever worse than Lark Rise to Candleford of The Longest Drinker. Who actually cared? Why didn't they just pretend? Anyway, that's over because the, the dog attack, which was really unexpected. And the way it kept fading in and out was brilliant. However, Let's talk about this business with Jolene. I thought someone was going to find something on her phone in the hospital when they said, oh, is that your phone on the floor or something? And there was going to be some message. Or she'd have been having some rampant affair and someone wanted to kill Kenton. But the, this just doesn't make sense. So somebody who bought seven bags of crisps came to the pub and saw a woman that once was in a crappy kind of covers band. And he invaded the stage during this crappy covers band for what reason? What, why was he on the stage? Was it Jolene's considerable charms? She then got cross. There was some sort of hoo-ha. Why would he seek vengeance with her? The plot just doesn't make sense. Unless, of course, this is nonsense, and it's much more to do with Vince and some sort of shadowy dealings in the black country. It's all just too nonsensical. Also, Shuler. Never turned to Shuler in a crisis. There's Kenton trying to tell her stuff, going, oh, Kenton absolutely terrible listening skills. I really hoped she'd gone forever and she keeps coming back, doesn't she? Like a bloody boomerang. So, Shula is just terrible in a crisis and why didn't they stop talking about how badly injured Kenton was? Rather, he was lying there. They were going, oh, yes, he's terrible. There's a vicious dog. He's thinking, he can hear you. Stop. So, yeah, I'm sure there's many more calls about this and Mia, God, that girl's so annoying.
6: Thanks and Bye. Thank you for that call, Catherine. Now, I do have to pull you up on something. You said twice crappy covers band. We are talking about the Midnight Walkers, fronted by the Lily of Leighton Cross. This is not some crappy covers band. This is a country and western combo that is just a few steps away from the grand old Opry. Well, maybe not, but certainly. It could be that this uh, black country guy has got some sort of bizarre Patsy Cline obsession and sees Jolene performing I Go Walking After Midnight or Crazy or one of those things that I think is part of her repertoire or Stand By Your Man, perhaps, or, yeah. or maybe some Dolly Parton. I Will Always Love You, the Dolly Parton version of that is an absolute cracking song, but much better, I would say, than the more famous Whitney Houston cover. So I don't think the crappy covers band is really quite fair here. But then that said, yes, the storyline is all a bit bizarre. Why did this person turn up? Why, if they need, and I think we learned from Friday that the issue was this guy doesn't want to be recognized. So what are they doing turning up in pub car parks or going to pubs and so forth if they're doing something which involves not being recognized? Because even if nobody knew them from actually having previously encountered them, you get a description. In fact, they're buying loads of crisps and being a bit visible. We still don't know quite what they're doing and whether it's dogfighting or whatever. But whatever it is that they're doing, why are they turning up in pubs anyway? If the idea is not to be recognised. Makes no sense to me.
5: No, it's a very strange story to me as well. The whole turning up in the car park late when it to being locked up. And he did say to the guy, oh, this is a nice, quiet place because obviously only a quarter of the place was open because they were only in the ploughmans, weren't they? But a very weird story. I don't think we've heard the full story. I think Jolene told a version of the story to Vince, but she didn't tell the full story to Vince. Why, as, as I said before, why she told it to Vince in the first place, oh, God, goodness knows. I was fascinated by the crisps. I wonder if I was alone in getting out my calculator to work out how much each packet of crisps cost, £7.30 for seven bags of crisps sounded really expensive to me, but I don't buy crisps. And in fact, then I worked that it was only 90p a bag. Yeah. And, and I, in a pub, that doesn't sound very expensive at all. I imagine you'd, they'd round it up to at least a pound. I'm someone that buys a large French bags of crisps of 750 grams a go. I don't do small bags of crisps, but I would choose crisps over sweets any day.
6: I'm not a crisp eater at all. I really don't like potato crisps. What? The root vegetable ones are quite okay, but I don't normally eat crisps. And so I never buy them in pubs unless if I'm buying a big round and people ask for a couple of bags, so it's all in there. But I never break down a lot of the individualism. So I have no idea how much a bag of crisps is. But it wouldn't surprise me these days if they're pound fifty a bag or something. Yeah,
5: I, I would have thought if somebody had asked me to, in some otherworldly conversation to guess, I would never have guessed that it was 90p. I would have said much more, 150, 175, something like that. But who knows? But if they were really black country, wouldn't they have eaten pork scratchings?
6: Well, that is certainly something that people have mentioned on the Facebook.
5: Indeed. There we go. So thank you for your call, Catherine. Did we talk about everything Catherine's call? I can't remember now. We
6: didn't talk about Mia, but I think we've got that coming up to, to talk about.
5: Yeah, that's very true. So those are our first few calls and there are more to come. And we'll hear them after we've given you this little bit of information. If you'd like to join in by calling us yourself or dropping us a line by message or email, Stephen is here to tell you how, and all the details are also in the show notes.
6: The first option is to record a message or a plot prediction by going to www.speakpipe.com slash dumptydum, and don't forget, there's a T in the middle. The next option is to send us a voice note or a, a message via WhatsApp on 07810 012 881 and if you're calling from outside the united kingdom remember to put in your international dialing code and 44 for the uk and remove that first zero please keep your call to a minimum of two minutes or finally we have an email address you can contact us on if you would rather write with your views with a maximum of 250 words please and the email address is dumptydum at mail.com. And do bear in mind, you need to be at least 18 to contribute. Selling a little
9: or a lot?
6: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
2: Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially, no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. So, I think get back
5: to our calls now. Um, I think we have someone on a flight of fancy. Next. Yes, it's
2: it's Nick. Hi, this is Nick Max, all waking, cracking on the Twitter and the blue sky and stuff. So, Stephen, you are going to regret this. Uh, I just thought I'd let you know about what's going on with Peggy and um, with Hilda. So, Peggy has a familiar—that's Hilda. We know that Peggy is a vampire, and Hilda is now terrorizing Tony on Peggy's behalf. Now that Peggy's under house arrest in the Laurels, the dog attack was it. Really, what did the doctor find in Harry's bloods? Is this connected and does Peggy have a rival in Twilight comes to Ambridge? My head is saying Harry's blood test indicates that he's a werewolf. His secret is that he's in Ambridge seeking the vampire nest, which is now moved from the lodge to the laurels. Look forward to Kenton turning into a vampire. And hopefully, I can have the next instalment next week. Well, thank you for that, Nick. Now, it's interesting,
5: isn't it, Stephen? Because we come across people quite regularly in our world of Ambridge, academics, Dumpty dum the Facebook groups. And in Birmingham, Nick came across as quite a sane human being. So there we are. So
6: Nick has taken the view that Peggy is a vampire for quite some time. But this is an interesting development. I, th- I think she might have misspoken slightly in saying that Kenton's going to turn into a vampire because I think that if the incident on Tuesday night involved a werewolf and it wasn't a dog, it was a werewolf.
5: Well, they did describe it as a mad beast.
6: Exactly. Then surely Kenton will turn into a werewolf as well. And so you will have a a faction of, of werewolves in the village with Harry as a werewolf and this black country guy as perhaps a not very... Pleasant werewolves. There can be nice werewolves and not so nice werewolves. I've never really? read any of the Twilight books. but no, uh, I
5: no, I haven't either.
6: There was a, I think it was a series called Being Human. And that was another of these vampires and werewolves type of thing, which is really rather good. It ran for quite a few series. And there you had people who are basically trying to be decent and get by. And despite the fact that they were in respectively vampires and werewolves. And there's a
5: together. whole new world out there, isn't there? It's uh, called I,
6: Urban uh, Fantasy, but this is obviously a bit more rural.
5: Yeah, it's uh, a very rural fantasy. I'm looking forward to the next installment. I could quite get into somebody else telling us a story. Uh, if Nick wants to carry on with her flight of fancy, I think she should continue calling in or email her in with the, the next installment.
6: Next call comes up and it goes like this Y'all know how this goes. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling toss salads and scrambled eggs.
0: Greetings, Jacqueline, Stephen, and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Agus here, wishing you a happy February. The first month of the year has flown by. I'm not going to say much about Kenton, but as of Friday morning, it is a mystery. I'm sure many others will be caller-innering about the situation. The only thing I will say is that I thought Jolene should have called the police. Such a standard trope for certain crime dramas. Bad guys do bad things, the victim is scared that worse things will happen if they contact the police, so they don't do so, and the bad guys keep doing bad or even worse things. But eventually, they are caught, but not before something more terrible has happened. Now, on to Mia and Brad. Last week, if you recall, I said, quote, The course of true love in Ambridge can never run smoothly, except when it comes to Brad and Mia, at least for now. Well, that was a bit prescience. They were due for a bump in the road. Perhaps they will make up tonight at the fashion show when Brad comes out to model the green velvet suit. Or maybe it will wait until Valentine's Day. I do have a major bone to pick with Mia, though. She wore her ageism, shiny and bright, on her recycled jacket sleeve. Calling the valued seniors in the village decrepit, not understanding that older people and others with physical challenges would have problems climbing stairs, for accessing digital information? The alternate to the latter, plain paper without lamination, can be recycled, Mia. You should be concerned about the less fortunate, as well as the environment, and your standing among your teachers. As an aside, I was also reminded of Freddie, the over 65's Wrinklies, and Stella disrespecting Jill. I know, the latter is my opinion are the writers trying to create an ambridge battle of the generations, with the exception of Sweet Ben. Talk to you soon. Thank you for that call with us. And of course, you'll
6: have heard by now the Friday night episode where Mia and Brad did indeed make up, and it involved not Brad, but I think Paul was the one who wore the green suit on the catwalk and ended up buying it. But Mia accepted that asking Brad to do something like that was a bit selfish of her and made it all about her rather than thinking about how it would feel for Brad. And after all, if Paul and Brad are the same size, and it is remarkable how many people in Ambridge seem to be able to wear other people's clothes yeah, that was without profound. the need for any adjustment. You'd have thought there'd be somebody who was good with a needle, and my mind immediately goes to Clary, who is usually doing this sort of stuff, who would have been there and every time they'd got something in and it was going to be worn by somebody else, so Need to be a bit of adjustment I suppose adjusting a suit Could be quite tricky So you just have to Wear it the way it looks And if you're smaller Than the suit Then you wear it As an oversized suit In a sort of Talking head style And if you're too big For the suit You get somebody else To wear it I suppose But anyway Mia and Brad
5: Close pegs, pegs Stephen If somebody's walking Down a catwalk With a pair of trousers Far too big You peg them into the back At the back And put the jacket Over the top No stitches are required jolly good
6: or, or a safety pin i guess you can do oh, yeah oh, safety
5: pins yes definitely yeah, yeah very interesting point of view point of view from uh, with a i too and we are the same age with a spoon and I, I too felt it was all a bit ageist mia came out across very badly and in fact mia was someone that at the beginning of the week you wanted to slap because she was upsetting herself and upsetting everybody else but you've got to think about how old she is she was organizing this thing which was more than to her, more than a little village event. And so I kind of understood her anxiety and how it came off because she's very young. Same way in which Chelsea, who is older than her, it came across as it came across as self-centered. But that's teenagers. They're self-centered.
6: Yeah. I'm a big fan of Mia, but and I thought that she didn't come across that well this week because she was stressed. And clearly her stress reaction is to go into I've got to get this done. I've got to get this done. Everything has List. to be done. And uh, then she starts losing any empathy. And I think she probably starts off with perhaps a bit less natural empathy than, you know, than others might have. And certainly she's very different in that respect from Chelsea, who is very much a people person. And I think confronts every situation with what do people think? What do people feel? Even if her judgment is sometimes A bit bit off. I think I trust (laughs) Mia's judgment when unemotional over Chelsea's. But when the emotion comes up, they they just respond in very different ways. And so I'm prepared to cut her some slack on all of that. I think that it's not deliberate. She just does need to learn to modify herself. And I still disagree with Witherspoon over the Stella and Jill thing. I don't think Stella was disrespecting Jill at all. I think that Jill was to some extent... This was over the lemon drizzle cake. And yeah, Jill was doing some self deprecating, and Stella didn't rise to that. So, no, no,
5: interesting. Now, the other person this week that um, I felt was unempathetic and then was very empathetic was Lillian, because her reaction with um, Mia and Fallon at the beginning of the week when the incident with the spin talks about with the paper, etc. She was very haughty. She was very off. She was very empirical when she said, Loads of clothes. But someone will have to come and collect them. And wasn't well, I think help- that, that
6: was her reaction to the way that Mia had behaved? Yeah, so, yeah exactly. So I, I think that she decided to take offence at Mia and to Yeah communicate that offence by saying, "I was trying to do all this stuff. You've rejected that, so I'm not going to help." But then yeah. by the end of the week, she had changed her mind because I think Lillian, at the end of the day, is a very decent sort of person, and she yeah. is easygoing and likes to get on with people. But sometimes, when she gets annoyed by something, she will respond by putting well, on, on that sort of lady of the manor type.
5: Yeah, approach. I think I think it's quite a natural reaction. And probably I'm not too far from that myself. Sometimes when you do when you're you're trying to help people out, but they're rejecting you on some other grounds. But I was very pleased with her reaction to seeing Susan and Chelsea trying on their clothes. Although that was a bizarre twist. If I had a bag of clothes to give, I would not leave the people I was giving them to, to ruffle through them in my house, leaving my dog with them, and then go off out. I know she was going off to meet uh, Harrison to look at the CCTV for Tuesday night, but she left these people in her house. It was a bizarre scene. I thought it was weird.
6: If I were organizing an event like that, I think what I'd want to do is get all the clothes together in one place. And so any sorting could be done with everything lined up Yeah. so that you have the, the maximum chance to make the best effect by pairing items from different people together and, and so forth. Exactly. So I would have thought that the idea would be you pick up all the stuff from Lillian's, you then take it to the bull upstairs, perhaps use that before the night as a sorting place. Yeah. And then you sort things through and you put your outfits together, you hang them on racks and then I guess it because after all, uh, they would have to have been on racks waiting to be put on behind the scenes.
5: Yeah, so. I thought the whole sorting thing with Fallon was they had too many categories in my view of players, Is this a possible for the male models? Is this a possible for the female models? Categorize, yeah, I would have sort out the categories before. It wasn't, and rags at the end, yes, things that would go away. I felt that it was all, it was kind of complicated. They complicated it. And then the whole thing with Lillian and the non paid program, Quite interesting. Yes. Very but interesting. This, this is Ambridge. Oh, they always, over, the always
6: overcomplicate things in Ambridge. It's the way these things <laughs> happen.
5: Indeed they do. I think we've just got one last call now.
4: It, yep, here it is. It's from Brian. Hello all, it's Brian. Hope you're well. This week took a turn, didn't it? Wasn't expecting that. Came out of the blue. Especially after last week this was so tedious frankly but, yeah i can't suck like, really i listened twice i still can't quite understand what's going on can't quite have, work out how it makes sense for the, this guy to come back and cause all this awkward. but maybe you no know, Jolene those more than she's saying about it it all seems very weird anyway i have to say guy that plays kenton did a really good job this week he's usually comic relief most of the time but he did. Paul was stopped out for this one. He really sounded like someone who was traumatized and in pain, very convincingly, as far as I can tell. And so I'm sure it was interesting for him to get in something really meaty like that. I hope it's not going to be a long winded story. I know. I think it'd be dragging off. He's got to go. There's obviously more to come, but we shall see what's going to come out for this. But yes, he's certainly not up a gear from last week. Anyway, I think that's all I've got to say. But uh, hope you're keeping well. Enjoy the week. I'll talk to you. Bye for now.
5: Thank you for that, Brian. Yeah, it was a surprising week. As we said earlier, Tuesday evening, we did not expect that. But no hints of anything. And I think the continuity person said, there's a shocking day in uh, the bull. And I was expecting stuff about the electricity. And it wasn't at all. No electric involved. Uh, It was the dog. Yeah, Brian, it was a very, very surprising week. I can't work the plot out. I don't think anybody can. Unless we change into another writer next week, we might change it again. Or we might not hear anything from it. Who knows? I agree with Brian completely on Richard Attlee. The acting was absolutely fantastic. You really felt it, that horrible moment when Jolene found him. It was shocking. I I felt that it was one of the few times on listening to the actors where I actually needed to be pre warned But luckily, as I listen several hours after it's gone, I'd already seen on social media there's a bit of something happening. Yeah.
6: Yeah, it's good to, to give credit to Richard Attlee for that performance. We don't talk about him very much, I think, because Kenton is such an irritating character. At least yes. I find him really irritating most of the time. He's a flawed
5: character, isn't he? he? He's good sometimes. He's bad others. He's just a kind of, he just gets on your nerves very easily. He's so
6: self-assured with nothing really to be that self-assured about. This whole, I'm the village showman yeah. thing in his own head, maybe. But, yeah. but really, he's just the, the black sheep of the family who has landed up running a pub which yes. of course the previous generations black sheep did the same and ran exactly. the, the very same
5: pub yeah exactly thank you for all your calls i hope you can hear that we really do enjoy listening to them and reacting to them so please call in again next week now did we receive any emails or whatsapp messages this week Stephen?
6: yes we received several so first up we have a whatsapp message from mike jennings This one actually came in just after we finished recording last week, but it hasn't dated because it goes like this. Hello, Mike Jennings here with a prediction for Dumpty Dum. I think Fallon is pregnant. This week, we had Natasha very rudely asking Fallon about kids. You should never ask, but I know it's come up with her and Harrison in the past, and it's never really been resolved. Also, Fallon is too busy to help on the day of the Renew fashion show perhaps because she has appointments. And Emma made coffees this week and Fallon is drinking decaf.
5: Ooh, mate, thank you for that. You're not alone. Quite a few people are predicting uh, Fallon and future offspring, but she can't do the fashion show because Natasha's got a baptism, her event, hasn't she, in the tea room that day. It's, it's a,
6: yes, a, a friend's
5: christening party. It's the yeah. first
6: big th- Party that Natasha is throwing in the newly run tea rooms.
5: Yeah, exactly. And drinking decaf. Maybe a lot of people drink decaf at certain times. Yes. Well, I think it's worth speculating upon and bearing in mind. And then you can have a gold star
10: in it, the
6: future if it comes true. It does demonstrate the way that Dumpty Dummer's listen so carefully to the archers Indeed. and put, pull things together. Because I, I hadn't even thought about that as a possibility. I hadn't spotted any of those clues. And as you say, they may not be real clues, but it's interesting that the way that people can do that. And of course, the situation is that Fallon doesn't want kids and Harrison does, but Harrison has resigned himself to the fact that they won't have children. So I think that if Fallon were to get pregnant, it would be quite a big issue and it would lead to quite a lot of stress there. I'd rather have the stress be Fallon and Natasha and ultimately the long-term prediction that I've been supporting of Fallon going off to run the tea room at the recharging station, about which we have heard nothing for a very long time.
5: No, the charging station is a very strange story because it was so intense at the time, and then nothing. But we're going through this bit of a phase with the archers where we have a lot of loose ends. But hey, we're going with the flow, aren't we, Stephen? We had an email also from Vicky Cole, which goes like this. Dear Jacqueline Stephen and all dumpty-dummers everywhere, Well, what a week! I'm sure you'll have lots of calls about poor Kenton and the horrific dog attack. I often find these days that I've seen social media comments before I listen to the episode, and in this case, I'm glad to have had some warning of what was coming. It was such a shocking thing. And on a Tuesday, too. Don't the rules say these things have to be on a Friday? At least it doesn't seem to have been Kenton's throat, which is what I initially thought from the noises he was making. I'm utterly baffled by what can possibly be going on with this mysterious backstory from Jolene. Again, I'm sure I'm not the only one. On a cheerier note, I'm reading Ambridge at War, which is an authorised prequel to The Archers set in 1940. It features teenage Peggy and Phil, five-year-old Auntie Chris and Nigel's grandad, among many others. Dan and Doris were no more when I started listening. Doris seems a mighty capable lady. I wonder what they would think of the Brookfield lot today. So that's it for now. So bye-bye. From Vicky.
6: Thank you very much for that message, Vicky. Yes, I've got a copy of Ambridge at War, but I haven't started reading it, I'm afraid. I know that it attempts as far as possible to be consistent with everything that's been mentioned in The Archers. But I know also that various people have flagged up certain inconsistencies, including, I think, the date of birth of either Bert Horabin or possibly even Neville. So yeah,
5: last week we had that, didn't we? In, the, in amongst the tweets,
6: yes, that was when it was. So I will at some point get around to reading it, and I think there's a second one, a sort of sequel to that, that has come out. They're both written by Catherine Miller, and I think this is a an extension from previous. Novelizations have been various novelizations of the Arches written by people from Jock Gallagher to Joanna Toy. And I think Joanna Toy's series, Family Ties Looking for Love and Back to the Land, are extremely good. And I know that she went through either scripts or recordings of the entire period in order to mm-hmm. make sure it's right. And I think that anything in those books is absolutely true to what was broadcast on the radio. So if you want to catch up with the past, and understand it's not a sort of comprehensive history, but it, it focuses very much on, on the Brookfield Archers and a, the, a few others, Jenny and so on. But those are a good place to, to get a background for the first 50 years of the programme.
5: Ah, very interesting. I didn't know those books even existed. I've not really been... Because I don't see books, I don't see much British press. I, I could, it's all online nowadays. I don't actually read about things about you know, books being published and stuff. Well, so,
6: well, those, those are all uh, out of print now. I think they were published 25 years no, right. ago or nearly 25 it's years off. ago. But um, really? they're available secondhand. We also have an email from Chris in Indiana. And it goes like this. Hello from Indiana. Well, what in the world? When I said I was tired of this dull Jonian and Kenton plot, I meant I was tired of Jonian and Kenton. Not that I wanted Kenton mauled by a dog. Who thinks of these things? And who owns this dog? Jolene seems to know, but doesn't want to alert the authorities because she's afraid something bad might happen. Clearly, she hasn't been listening to the Archers this week. Or is the dog working on his own, like something out of a Stephen King novel? Is it Weaver, buried on unhallowed ground and back for revenge? If so, is Kenton just the beginning? And while I'm in a questioning mood, our abrasive Mia told Susan that Neil wasn't right for the fashion show, but Eddie is. I'd always pictured Neil as a good-looking one and Eddie as something like Onslow from Keeping Up Appearances. Am I wrong? Is Eddie a sexy silver daddy? I need answers. Chris G.
5: Ooh, good one, Chris. I agree. I was completely and utterly offended that Mia rejected my Neil. Because I I imagine Neil as being... Apart from the fact that he's one of my favourite characters, he's one of those people that we've seen over the years grow and to cope with Susan and his children and he's been very supportive of Emma although she's been a very difficult daughter to support so I imagine him as being a very nice comfortable nice looking countryman, not a gentleman farmer obviously because he's a worker but yeah I think he'd be a very good uh, person but one of the things this week that made me laugh out loud was when Susan described him and her being commented upon as a very a good-looking couple, I thought, yeah, Susan must scrub up well. So we, we know that she does. We know that we've had comments in the past about how well she looks in dresses and how she dresses up. But she would look good with Neil, and Neil would compliment her. So I don't find think Eddie as a sexy silver daddy in any way whatsoever. He's grubby around the edges, as far as I can feel. See, Chris? So no, not for me.
6: Yeah. I think that Eddie is probably grubby around the edges even when he scrubs himself up, whereas Neil goes from being a pretty foul-smelling pig man at work to being very presentable at home. And remember, he's been a a, a leading figure in the village, church warden, mm-hmm. member of the parish council, I think chair of the parish council. Chair, and bell ringer. Bell uh, I was going to add that too. So, yeah, I, maybe it's just this point about him being a pigman and nobody can really see past that. The other person who was mentioned this week, and I think we mentioned, they're being mentioned earlier this week, who you have questions about what they looked like was Mike Tucker. Because Mm. while on the one hand, he was always this grumpy union organizing type of of worker, he was also a ballroom dancer. And despite the loss of Betty, he then managed to charm Vicky fairly quickly. So Mike probably had something about him as well. It's so hard to tell with the radio
5: Yes, it is. And that's so wonderful. And in fact, if anything, this week's caller and email have proved that what we get out of the archers is the joy of the flight of fantasy, the speculation. It's just been absolutely fantastic. All these calls and the, it's been amazing this week. We've had so many things on so many levels. Yes, yeah, so we so can't the, break them enough. Yeah.
6: The ghost of Weaver being the yeah. dog involved.
5: That's wonderful, Chris. Your think... emails are becoming absolutely... Actually, I wonder if we should introduce Chris to Nick. That no, I was just
6: thinking nice that. Yes, get, get them together to write some, some fan fiction about a, a sort of alternative approach to the archers.
5: Absolutely. I think it would be fantastic. We could then do lots of things with the dum information that we could employ them to write. Employ in inverted commas because we're doing this all for free. So, we'll calm down now. Finally, we had a plot prediction from Glenis Goodwill directly onto our Facebook page, but we couldn't resist including it in this roundup of the news. She says, I was wondering whether Kenton and Jolie might retire, because he's physically incapable of the necessary heavy part of the job, leading to the possibility of the bull closing. So Fallon plus A and Other, or Ed and Emma, taking over and saving the bull. But that leaves the tea room without its leading lights, so it closes. And, of course, Eddie would be delighted, wouldn't he? Suppose he'd expect lots of free pints. So that's a very interesting plot prediction. Thank you, Glennis. Yes, that that's a, a
6: fun plot prediction. I think we're probably okay on the Kenton front. I think he's had the all clear, and it's all going to get better. But at some point, we are going to have to see the future with beyond kenton who is what 70 by now and jolene fallon is the most obvious person to take over but as we said just before there's also the tea room at the ev charging center that needs somebody to run it and i don't know whether harrison would be willing to give up being a policeman in order to work behind a bar i'm not quite sure that that's it was his ever been his ambition he wants to get out into the country and yeah be a wildlife warden or something like that and i'm not sure emma and ed again i don't see ed as being happy running a pub and i'm not sure he's got quite the personality i think he gets a bit too worked up at times i think yeah. he's probably better off with tree surgery as long as he doesn't run into the sorts of plot developments that stephanie was talking about earlier on As for leaving the the tea room without its leading lights, well, that's on Natasha and Tom, and the sooner that happens, the better, so that we can see them struggle.
5: We shall be gleeful when that happens. But I don't even know that Harrison could become a landlord having been a a policeman. and He certainly couldn't do the jobs in parallel. I don't think that's allowed. Couldn't
6: do them in parallel, but I think a lot of police police officers traditionally used to retire at whatever it was, 50, 55, and, and then go and run a pub. So I I think some of the skills of a traditional copper, uh, like dealing with a phrase and so forth, back in the, we're talking about 50s and 60s, there's probably quite a lot of transferable skills there. So I, I think that that's not an issue as long as it's after he has retired or quit the force. But yeah, he couldn't do it while being a serving policeman. That would probably be quite tricky. Though I guess he he does it probably do occasional casual time behind the bar if necessary. I don't think that's too much of a problem.
5: Good. Before we move on to our Facebook page, we better just talk about the Academic Archers and the conference planned for the weekend of the 27th and 28th of April at the Quakers Meeting House, Euston Road, London. Now, I know Nick's going to be there there. So, Chris, get a flight booked from Indiana and you two can get your heads together and create the next fan fiction the box office is now open and the links can be found in the show notes. We've been looking through the summaries of the papers that were presented at the conference and I've picked out one that particularly appeals to me. And the reason it appealed to me this week was because there's a lot of discussion on social media about neurodiversity in both Brad and Mia and their reactions to things. The topic of neurodiversity in Ambridge has come up before and it's a rich scene to revisit and we will have two talks on this subject. The first one is titled, Living in a Neurodiverse Household, Why Accurate Representation Storylines Makes a Difference and it's by Andrea Hart and she says, drawing on my experience of living in a neurodiverse household, I'll talk about how neurodiversity can and should be woven into the arches. Some scenarios I could cover include, how might it be handled if someone who applied for a job at Lower Loxley disclosed that they had dyspraxia and asked for reasonable adjustments? What might a conversation be like around the kitchen table over a mug of tea and a slice of lemon drizzle cake if Rose's school suggested Pip asked for a dyslexia assessment? How on earth would Emma and Will manage the process of getting an autism diagnosis for Kira? And is Jacob, like my husband, does he also have an Excel spreadsheet that tells him the optimum timings for important life events like proposing or having a baby? Ultimately, my aim is to show that neurodiversity can be part of the storyline and shouldn't ever be the storyline. I believe that the way we build strong relationships with characters in The Archers and the writing that allows storylines to unfold over months and years lends itself to these questions. I think we can get a rundown of the program by going onto Academic Archers Facebook page. And the links there, we'll be putting links on our page as well, including the links for ferity Fund and, um, the competition to create a ferret in, your, in whatever way you want to create it. Is that right, Stephen? We're going to be yes. doing that? Yes, and even though there won't be
6: any formal Dumpty Dum activity, it will be an opportunity. I'm sure there will be quite a few Dumpty Dumbers attending, and we will find a way of uh, gathering together, possibly on the, the Friday night before the conference, and certainly on the course of... The Saturday evening, provided that is we find enough time for you and me to record a podcast,
5: and yes, and edit it, and edit it. We've already decided we're going to have to record it in two separate rooms because we don't know how to do the technology to do it face to face. Do we? Cool. Well, so, well, we
6: sit around the same microphone, but yeah, but we it, yes, it would be interesting doing it. I guess we could work out how to use the Riverside Studio with the two of us in the same room. We'll see nearer the time what we've got in the way of equipment.
5: Indeed. I don't think you'll be able to cope with me interrupting you so many times if we're in the same room. Right. Let's move on to our Facebook group where we have lots of very active and friendly members. So we need to give a very warm welcome to the newest of them who are Sloane Garrett, Linda Stone, Dan Mumby,
6: Shauna Harton, Pauline Tebbett and Susie Ruston-McAleer. Before we hear what our Facebook group has been talking about this week, we're once again looking for a volunteer or two to take on one week a month, now that the remaining much nicer Rob has decided to step away from the mic. But for this week, we've recruited a former rounder opera who's now gone on to bigger things. Hello Dumpty Dum. It's Stephen here with this week's social media roundup. The big story on the Dumpty Dum Facebook page this week was all about the day of the week. WTF, it's Tuesday, said Rita Ferreira with more than the usual number of question marks and exclamation marks. It is Tuesday, echoed Melly McMerriweather with capital letters and even more exclamation marks nothing bad should occur on tuesdays noted witherspoon maybe a worse cliffhanger on friday observed ruth pearl ominously that was totally not expected yikes said amy elizabeth packett almost as upsetting as john's demise said sally haw i wish i hadn't listened just before bed on the other hand said linda hagopian have to admire the excellent foley work for the ahem incident which ended Tuesday's episode. My daughter in law works as a sound engineer. But what about the mysterious man that we presume was behind the attack? We heard him in the bull on Monday night. Melanie Ferris was sure that somebody would have some bright ideas. Come on, you clever dumpty dummers, she said. Who is going to speculate on why Jolene is avoiding these visitors? Joanne Smith had a theory. His next singing partner, Lover, and the reason she split up with Wayne. When she came to the Bull all those years ago, she hid that sordid chapter from her past and it would be embarrassing for it all to become common knowledge now. Obviously some history between Jolene and the Vince-alike, noted Paul Newman. But do we really need another mystery Brummy? Leo Horstmeyer noted that he sounds much like Adrian Yam Yam York, who used to teach Will, Ed and Emma. By Thursday, we had established that he was from... Deepest, darkest Wolverhampton in the depths of the black country. There were mixed reactions to this part of the storyline. Michelle Wright kicked things off. Oh my goodness! Bit smug to have guessed it was someone from Jolien's touring days, but didn't think it would hit quite so close to home for this Wolfrunian. Wolverhampton never gets a good rep. Proper black country folk save their fighting for each other, preferably at football matches, said Andrea Twelves. Next in the list of Brummies. After that, I think we're pretty chilled. As long as the pub is selling the right kind of pork scratching. Maybe that was a problem. The blokes are only offered crisps. But Vince's proposal to see if he can find anything out about it went down less well. This is ludicrous. The Wolverhampton Mafia, said Jonah Titchmarsh. Not telling the police makes no sense to me, noted spoon. Especially when your son-in-law is in the force, added Brenda Spencer. The other character who came in for quite a bit of discussion this week was Mia. Mia manages to be abrasive and right at the same time, said Chris Gibson. Rosie Taylor was on Mia's side, so much better than Kate at the same age. Susan Wilson was not. Sorry, but I think she was rude and being young and idealistic doesn't excuse her actions. Lillian made a kind and generous offer and is right that not everyone has a smartphone. I'm glad Alan called Mia out and I hope she listens to her. Sarah Bailey had more practical concerns. I'm not volunteering to tell Mia that the show had another setback, or God forbid, is cancelled. How will she shift all those older men clothes? Maybe Robert will come to the rescue. But it took Christopher McKiddy to link the two storylines together. She's probably going to kick off at Kenton for being inconsiderately eaten by a dog. Doesn't he care about the environment? And on that bombshell, I'll return you
5: to the studio. Thank you for that, Stephen. And thank you so much to everybody on the Dumpty Dum Facebook group. If you'd like to join them, please do. And don't forget to answer the very easy membership questions so that we know that you're a real person. Who's doing the social media roundup next week, Stephen? Is it Ben?
6: It's Ben next week, yes.
5: Ben from Shanghai. There we go. So that's who'll be doing it next week. But we do need somebody else for the week after. No, no,
6: we're sorted for the next couple of weeks because Vicky has stepped in. To do week, oh, so we're good for this month. But from the beginning of March, we really could do with somebody for the first and third weeks in March.
5: Jolly good, and we didn't have any reviews this week. If anybody fancies doing some reviews, you can go do that by going on to Apple Podcasts and uh, leave us a nice five star review, and we'll mention you. Now to Twitter, where you will find us at Dumpty Dum. Make sure you include the Archers hashtag using a capital T and A so the visually impaired who use screen readers can enjoy any Archers-based tweets. As well as at Dumpty Dum, I can be found at JbertoSanguen.
6: And I can be found at Wenlock House. But we're both spending more time discussing the Archers on Blue Sky,
5: where I am at wenlock.bsky.social. And I am at jberto.bsky.social. So, should we find out who's won
10: those medals this week? Tweet, tweet, tiger. <laughs> Hello, Jacqueline, Stephen and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with Tweets and Skeets of the Week. And my thanks as ever to Bernadette, Jen and everyone who tags at Dumpty Dum on Twitter to make sure we see all the best ones. If anyone on Blue Sky would like to tag at dumptydum.bsky.social, please don't hold back. This week on both platforms there's been a lot of hallelujahs for the return of St. Shula of Sunderland. As Sarah Mattox at Sarah Mattox said, St. Shula has arrived to hand ring. Or, Or, as Little Kim at Little Kim put it, It's okay, Shula's here. Behold, you are made well. And lo, Kenton did cast off his bandages and start cracking dad jokes again. Meanwhile, there's a fantastic thread on Twitter by Cosmo, at Cosmo 100, long-time friend of Dumpty Dum, who has some very well-worked-through ideas of how old storylines should be brought back through the medium of Shuler's occasional visits. His ideas include Carol Drugoran reappearing in time to move to the Laurels, freeing up Glebe Cottage for Shuler to live in, Shuler and Brian reminiscing over dinner about Jenny and Caroline, and Dan returning to the village with a wife and children. Do take a look, he has many more ideas. Now it's time for the medals for blue sky skeets and X posts, all of which we continue to consider as Tweets of the Week. In bronze position, it's our own Ambridge Pony Club, at Jen underscore J Stephen. Oh no, I'm making tea and had one of those premonitions. There's a great vicious dog on the loose and a hundred grundy texels on the cricket pitch. And that spells... Dun, dun, dun. The silver medalist is Finton the Wrong at fintontwrong.bsky.social. You can rest easy now, Jolene. Those villains won't be bothering you again. What did you do, Vince? Never worry about that and have another of these delicious meat pies. And the gold medal goes to Sarah Mattox at sarah underscore Mattox. They say bad things come in threes. Getting attacked by a dog and visited by Shula could only be topped by being discharged in time for the fashion show. Well, that's it for this week. I hope to see you all on hashtag The Archers, Twitter or Blue Sky next week.
5: Thank you for that, Theo. And congratulations to all who were mentioned in this week's roundup. And don't forget, we're on Instagram at Dumpty Dum, where Theo looks after things. Next week,
6: we'll be recording at the normal time of First thing Saturday morning. So please, once again, get your calls in by midnight on Friday UK time. And let's hope we get some more brilliant calls like all the ones we had this week. It's been a really good bumper week. And as we come to the end of this episode, we need to say thank you to all our wonderful contributors and to the whole team who look after on social media and support us in so many invaluable ways. Thanks to you lot too. This lovely Dumpty Dum community is why we carry on doing this every week.
5: And we must say thank you to Kim Durham and Sonny Ormond for their voices and our podcasting parents, Lucy V. Freeman and Roy Phil Brown. Thank
10: you
6: so much for listening and joining us today. We're now off to her first dibs on Lillian's cast-off
5: wardrobe. So it's goodbye from me. And it's au revoir from me. Dumpty 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 Dum, Dumpty
4: Dumpty Dumpty, Dumpty da da. Dumpty 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 dum dumpty dilly dumpty dilly dumpty dilly dum dumpty 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 dilly